Behold this heart that has so loved men, and which receives from them only ingratitude. These are our Lord's words to St. Margaret Mary. Has so loved men. What did he mean by that? How much has he loved us? Well, at the time that he said this, he was showing to her his heart, on fire with love, like a glowing furnace, she says. It was so hot with this ardent passion, this love for our souls. Do you have any idea how hot a furnace has to get before it'll glow? And that heart that he showed her, it has a hole in it, a hole from where a lance pierced it 2,000 years ago as he hung upon a cross on a hill outside of Jerusalem. That hole was put there to make sure that he was dead. And he died because it was his own will that he do so. And he chose to do this to show how much he loves us. Behold this heart that has so loved men. How much? To burn with passion for us. Even to suffer and to die for us. To save us from our sins. This is what love does. To love is to will what is best for the other person. Love also desires to be united to the other person. But too often in today's world, the word love is used to describe something that we derive a lot of pleasure from, or something that makes us happy. I love those avocado enchiladas at El Chico. Well, what that really means is you like those a whole lot. Someone might even have a great desire to have those enchiladas, but still, it's for the delight that they give him. When the word love is used to refer to how we feel about another person, too often it is like that. Someone, quote-unquote, loves another person. If he has a great desire to be with them, if his passions draw him strongly to that person, to be very close to them, But why? Does he desire to be close to them because that is what's good for them? Does he truly desire and is willing to work for the good of the other person? Perhaps he desires their pleasure. That's not a bad thing, but that alone is a very dangerous thing, and it is not love. Or does he desire to be with that person because it gives himself pleasure? Is that what he means by love? That's like loving the enchiladas. I feel good when I'm with you, or you give me pleasure. That means I love you. Christ's heart burns with love because he has made an act of the will to love us. It would be blasphemy to say that he loves us simply because his heart burns with passion. See, in the first case, he actually loves us. In the second case, he would only have that feeling that sometimes results from love. One is love, one is not. And too often that feeling is what people call love, and they let it govern their actions. But passion alone is not love. But beyond just the feeling which is not really love anyway, 
there is another degree of love whereby we want to be with someone and do really desire their good. And if that love is true love, we desire their, their good so much that we would sacrifice our own pleasure and to some extent, to a large extent, most of our own good. This is the true test of love. How much will we give of ourselves for the one we love? Christ gave all. Not counting the cost. Not thinking how hard or miserable it was. Never dwelling on, I really wish this were enjoyable for me. Never saying, what about me? This is love. And this is what we celebrate today. How much Christ has loved us. And we also learn how much we ought to love one another. Love loves so much, even to forgetfulness of self. And the interesting thing is that if we love that way, if we love as we should, that is, even to the forgetfulness of ourselves, then others will certainly be drawn to love us, and they will strive for our happiness. They will then give us what we cannot give ourselves. They will give us selfless love. And then we will be happy, because that's what we're made for. In other words, if we live for others, even to forgetfulness of self, others will live not for our good only, but also for our happiness. People who live with no thought for themselves are attractive. They live a life of giving. They are not selfish and don't come across as being selfish. This is something that we all look for. You see, selfish people will not do what it takes to make us safe, secure, to protect us, or even to give a thought for our hearts and our souls. Yet that's what we look for. Selfish people put themselves first, even though they disguise their self-centeredness as real interest in others, even fooling themselves sometimes. But that means that everyone else is second. Everyone else is there to make them happy. They love those people, not because they are people and they are lovable, but because those people serve them somehow. They make them happy. They give them pleasure. I love her should mean I will suffer anything for her holiness and her happiness. Not just, I can't wait to be with that person. She makes me feel good. She makes me happy. If they recognize that you will deny yourself, that you will put them first, then they will do all that they can to give themselves to you as much as they are able, given the laws of God and of man. That is why the ability to love is the truest test of virtue. For virtue is not determined by how many others we can conquer or how well we can do at something, but by whether or not we can conquer ourselves, can control ourselves, not control our environment, whether or not we can give of ourselves. 
Those who are not willing to suffer, to be without, to die, to surrender, to choose other over self. These people want love, but struggle against themselves and their own fears of letting go, of not providing for themselves, and of letting others provide for them what they need. A true lover will even be without love if he has to, in order to do what is best for the one he loves. See the example of our Lord on the cross. Behold this heart that has so loved men and which receives from them only ingratitude. Knowing how he would be treated, he gave his life for our salvation anyway. There's no self-interest there. But make no mistake, such a person who will give all for love of neighbor is eminently lovable and will in fact be loved because he has first loved. We cannot give that kind of selfless love to ourselves, and so we must stop trying and let others do it for us. Jim Elliot, the Protestant missionary, has a great quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Stop trying so hard for our own happiness, for we cannot give ourselves selfless love, and that is what we long for. Love others as you wish to be loved, and you will be loved beyond what you can now imagine. What does all this have to do with today's feast? Why do we celebrate this feast today, and what are we celebrating? It's nothing less than the love God has for us, most especially manifested by the second person of the Blessed Trinity in his human heart. We see a great example of that love when we hear St. Paul admonish husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. And as you've guessed by now, I'm not really talking a lot today about the Sacred Heart, but rather about love and the lessons we learn from the Sacred Heart about love. So what about that heart? Christ chose the littleness of Bethlehem so that we might see how much he is not interested in serving himself. Remember, we are to follow his example. Loving is not about us. It's about the beloved. He lived a life of poverty and obscurity so that we might see how little he sought his own greatness and comfort. Remember, we are to follow his example. Love is not about us. It's about the beloved. He died, rejected by his own people and accused of blasphemy, hanging between two thieves, so that we might see what is the limit to which he would go for our good. Remember, we are to follow his example. Loving is not about us, but it's about the beloved. And he did all these things because he loves us. And do we follow his example? Are we even willing to follow his example? 
Love is not about us. It's about the beloved. We will be fulfilled if we don't strive for fulfillment. If we strive to do and be the best for those we love, even to forgetfulness of self, because that is what we are made for. Christ taught us this. This is the love of the Sacred Heart. What was in it for him? What did he gain by loving us, even unto death? And he tells us to love one another as he has loved us. What does that mean? To give and not count the cost. To be concerned with our own sancti- to, to be con- to not be concerned with our own san- satisfaction and our own fulfillment, but only the fulfillment, the joy, and the happiness, and finally the beatitude of those we love. So much so that we would that we would what? How did Christ love His church? Christ did not come to make us feel good. He came to do for us what was best, and nothing got in his way. Happiness is a great thing. It's what we're made for. He desires our happiness in this life and in the next. But God wants us to be happy, finally, eternally. For that will be true and perfect happiness. And we must not prefer the lesser happinesses in favor of that one. And this often is our trouble, that along the way we seek happiness or try to create it in a way that interferes with our ultimate happiness. We choose one good thing over something else that we should have chosen. We try to make happiness happen here and now the way we think it should be, rather than accepting the limitations of this world and loving others as we are able to here and now, and accepting their love as they are able to give it here and now. We've heard this before, but it fits well here too. Our misery oftentimes is a result of not accepting what is, and wishing and striving for what is not. We all seek love, And to find love, we must first truly love. It feels like a dangerous and a scary thing to not achieve or to actively pursue even our own happiness. We are, after all, made for happiness. And we feel like we have to secure that happiness for ourselves. We're designed to seek happiness. But true happiness... All that we look for, all that we could ever want, comes from giving, not from taking. And that's all very fine to say, and we can strive to live this way. But the wound of sin is deep, and doing such violence to ourselves, to put others first, will not come easily. We will need help. And this is why our Lord has given us this feast day, not only to be the example and inspiration to us for loving, but also that we might go to him to learn this love, selfless love, 
which has its every desire fulfilled because it gives and it does not take. To learn this love by dwelling with him, by spending time with him every day, we will become more like him. And so I will close today with a reading from the Office of Matins for the Feast of the Sacred Heart, a homily by St. Bonaventure. In order that the Church might be taken out of the side of Christ in his deep sleep on the cross, and that the Scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They shall look on him whom they pierced. It was divinely ordained that one of the soldiers should pierce his sacred side with a spear and open it. Then forthwith there came flowing out blood and water, which was the price of our salvation, pouring forth from its mountain source, in sooth from the secret places of his heart, to give power to the sacraments of the church, to bestow the life of grace, and to be as a saving drink of living waters, flowing up to eternal life for those who are already quickened in Christ. Arise then, O soul, beloved of Christ, cease not thy vigilance, place there thy lips, and drink the waters from the fountain of salvation. Because we are now come to the sweet heart of Jesus, and because it is good for us to be here, let us not too soon turn away. Oh, how good and joyful a thing it is to dwell in this heart. What a good treasure, what a precious pearl is this, is this sacred heart, O most excellent Jesus, which we have found hidden in the pit which has been dug in this field, namely in thy body. Who would cast away such a pearl? Nay, rather, for this same I would give all my pearls. I will sell all my thoughts and affections and buy the same for myself, turning all my thoughts to the heart of the good Jesus without fail. It will support me. Therefore, most sweet Jesus, finding this heart that is thine and mine, I will pray to thee, my God. Admit my prayers into the shrine of thy hearkening and draw me evermore altogether into thy heart. For to this end was thy side pierced, that an entry might be made open to us. To this end was thy heart wounded, that in it we might be able to dwell secure from the alarms from without. And it was wounded nonetheless on this account, that because of the invisible wound, we may perceive the wound of love, which is invisible. How could this fire of love better shine forth than for him to permit that not only his body, but that even his heart should be wounded with a spear. Who would not love that heart so wounded? Who would not in return love one who is so loving? Who would not embrace one so chaste? Wherefore, let us who are in the flesh love in return as much as we can him who so loveth, embraced our wounded one, those hands, those feet, that side and heart which have been pierced by the wicked husbandman. And let us pray that he may deign to bind our hearts, still hard and impenitent, with the chain of his love, and wound them with the dart thereof. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.